You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Uh, so anyway, I do my audition with Ozzy. Ozzy comes on uh, the next day. Ozzy comes in. We, we uh, change uh, studios and we go to a big studio. It had a massive stage on it. And uh, I did uh, five songs, including a guitar solo. And I sit down with them after. And they said, uh, well, Jimmy, here's the deal. It's between you and Zach. And, you know, if they didn't like me, they didn't have to say, you know, say that. But they said it's between you and Zach. And they took me out to dinner at this really exclusive place. I went back to Ozzy's bungalow. Then Randy Castile took me to uh, the Troubadour. It was just one, an amazing uh, experience. Uh, but then I was on a plane home the next day. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Benny Goodman. Take two. Not to you, but to, to, for, for, for everybody on this. I'm sorry already. This is 2020, <laughs> duh, which is what you just got. <laughs> if you haven't been subscribing, it's 2020-d.com. You can go to the YouTube and actually watch us, which maybe makes us more enjoyable and palpable or, or maybe not. When I introduce my cohorts, Corey Pesa and Siobhan Cronin, you can have faces to the names. Hi, guys. Yeah, you might not prefer our faces, though, and you can always listen on Spotify or anywhere else. <laughs> I quite enjoy the video, though. And speaking of that, definitely tune in today. Part two with Jimmy Bell. Go check out part one if you haven't listened yet. Amazing energy. So great to talk to him again. Such a cool guy. Jimmy Bell's like a coffee bean, but on behalf of all guitars. <laughs> Indeed. I, yeah, sure. <laughs> so here it is, part two with Jimmy Bell. Hello, welcome back to another episode of 2020. My name is Corey Peza here as always with Benny Goodman and Siobhan Cronin. How you guys doing? What's up? Good. I'm super excited that I finally get to meet well, along with you. Well, you guys have met him in person, but our guest today, <laughs> part two with Jimmy Bell of Autograph. I've loved following you on Facebook. I've loved being on an album with you. So sad that three I haven't got to meet you. Yeah, three well, fucking three albums. albums. Okay, fine. A project. <laughs> but it's so cool to meet you and talk to you. If you haven't listened to part one, go check it out. 2020-D.com. Amazing stories from Jimmy in the first episode. I'm really excited to keep talking about more things in part two. Yeah, so thanks Absolutely. for coming back. It's been a pleasure meeting you as well. I, like I said earlier, it's a real shame that that show didn't happen because I was I know. extremely excited that you were going to be there. I said, ah, I'm going to get to finally meet her in person, you know, because I knew, you know, I we missed each other over at, at Benny's house uh, a couple times. Uh, if Benny was closer, I mean, I don't think people really realize how far Benny is for me, but uh, <laughs> it's but I don't mind because that's why when I go there uh, to record we got shit done, though. We yeah, got no, like three it, albums it, worth I, of stuff, I don't do and it. we even did Tracy G's stuff at at, at my house. Yeah, we you did. did, uh, I did Tracy from Dio, G's record at yeah, your Tra house. Tracy, uh, and by the way, that song was badass. Tracy uh, gave us a song, which, by the way, you know, by comparison to "Let Us Pray," which is like literally homework to figure out the the solos. It's amazing, but it's like very hard to understand. Tracy G's like all straight groove, like blues, like straight heavy groove, and you just played over that and i remember tracy calling me like dude this is the best thing ever and like he was so happy and i'm like i was so happy because you just gave him everything he wanted and he was like well, I, you made you, know, you gave I, him christmas you gotta understand my you know get a, a message from dio's ex-guitar player i'm going <laughs> what <laughs> you know tracy G, he thanked me for you okay i mean there's so many you know um there's so many things that that have been really weird since uh, uh, joining Autograph. You know, hanging out with all these other bands that we play with all the time, like Winger and Slaughter, and uh, I, I've I've met so many wonderful people, and uh, and they're all the same. They're all like wicked, wicked nice. You know, these people that 
uh, you don't really realize how nice someone like like Mark Slaughter, for example, is like one of the nicest guys I've ever talked to, and he's a gearhead. So he'll he'll sit and talk about. He wanted to come in the dressing room first first time that I actually got to physically meet him. We were talking on stage. He goes, "Look, let, let me come check out your guitars." I go, "Well, I'm left-handed." He goes, "Well, I want to see them anyway." You know, so he's he's like that. He talks about pedals and and everything. So and he, wonderful, wonderful person. And and then uh, and his guitar player, oh my god, he's so good. He plays. He does for uh, Vince Neil too. He plays for Vince and and everybody. Just absolutely uh, blando. He's just amazing. Uh, great guy. And um, and of course, I ended up. Um, doing a bunch of shows with winger and becoming friends with them and actually having a nice conversation with kip winger in the hallway um and and all these guys like playing with autograph i think because of the fact that we're uh very easy going very easy to get along with like i guess you know they they probably deal with other bands that aren't as easy uh to get along with and we just let everything you know oh you want this deal you know it's like that's the way you got to do it when when you're doing this but one of the biggest thrills is like hanging out with Red Beach. Uh, it's like I, I've met him a bunch of times because uh, my buddy Mikel Luby plays keyboards for White Snake. So I met him and Joel and and Reb uh, a bunch of times. Uh, and of course, Joel I went to see with uh, Trans Siberian. Yeah, uh, I know Marcus. Joel Hoekstra. Yeah, yeah, he's just absolutely. Siobhan's like I play with him on guitar. Insane. Yeah. But you know, um, Javon's like, tell me more. I no, play he's, with him. I just when I think of Joel Hoekstra, his hair is so long and he is so tall. He's like a giant, like human being. He's so tall and like when he's on stage, he just like does this crazy power stance and his hair is like touching the floor. <laughs> yeah, he's got his, he's got the stances, doesn't he? He's got yeah, the, he's a performer for sure. He's yeah, yeah, definitely he's a showman. Great, great performer. You yeah. know, that's now talk about a guy that's like really lucked out with gigs. I mean, yeah, I yes. mean, right from you know. <laughs> Rock of a- Rock of Ages into Night Ranger into White Snake into Cher. I mean, come on, who was it? Who wouldn't want to play guitar for Cher? That's like you know, like the most amazing gig ever, you know. But um, you know, you can imagine being behind that ass for two hours. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, it's yeah. you're bad, so Benny. Bad. So bad. <laughs> you know, she's the Tony but, Iommi of the Cher band. <laughs> oh, <laughs> really? She's kind of stand in the middle, you know, like Tony. Like Black Sabbath, you don't remember that Ozzy wasn't allowed to stand in the middle. Tony had to be in front. You know, well, that's, that was that's the that's old. True. Yeah, that was the uh, old Sabbath thing. What if you notice old Sabbath videos? Ozzy's singing from the side of the stage. Mm-hmm. That's a really weird thing. You know, it's like that's uh, interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, Ozzy. When Black Sabbath first got together, it was uh, the three guys, and Ozzy was over on on the side. Uh, very kind of strange, but anyways, you know, uh, so I became, you know, friends with, uh, uh, Reb and, you know, watching Reb play is just absolutely amazing. Uh, nicest guy ever. And, uh, you know, we've actually, he loves the way I play guitar because him and I don't play anything alike. So, and, and Joel's like that too. They go, you give me your picking hand. And I go, well, give me your Well, tap- they're legato guys. <laughs> like, they're like wicked. Like, they pull offs and all that. And you're like, no, must do it harder. Must pick 17 notes for every <laughs> pull off that extra does. Like, that's that's the thing is because, you know, even the, the your guitarist guitarist, because, you know, you'll go to a guy like Matt LaPierre, who is, again, a younger guy that has mixed all these new school techniques. And he's in his, at an age where he's grown up watching YouTube. So he's like a sponge. He like can do all like these finger tapping things, but then the sweet picking and you're like, I could never do what he does. But like, you know, Matt being a realist is like, but I could never pick like that ever. <laughs> And no human being can. And that's the thing is, you have figured out how to do every technique that everyone else does with some simple way just by picking. You're like, I'll just pick through it. I'll, I, alcoholism, I'll pick through it. Bad day, just pick through it. I'm just going to pick through it. Yeah. It's, it, it was just something, you know, the picking was one of these things like, you know, there, were, there was a couple of directions I could have went, um, you know, back in the day. Like I said, there was no YouTube. There was no computers. There was nothing. Everything I did was putting a record on and, and trying to listen and taking the needle off. I mean, you, you got to understand, 
you know, and even a cassette. I I, I had so many uh, uh, albums that I, you know, I tried to put on cassettes so I could stop, rewind, stop, rewind, instead of picking the needle off the record and going back and forth. That's that's all I had. That's how I, you know, I, I didn't have the luxury of what these uh, young guitar players have. You know, uh, it's like they, they notes really on have- a paper that tell you everything. Well, just What's videos that? of everything. You can you can have <laughs> tutorials. So, yeah, no, you're right, though. It's it's yeah, it's wild. I'm saying you, can, you can just read music and it'll tell you everything you need to know. And you go and look up certain things. Like if you want to learn something, it, it's like there's a thousand guys playing the same thing. So you could go to one uh, and and say, ah, it, 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 and some of these guys shouldn't even be posting videos, but they'll <laughs> they'll post and. And you'll say, okay, uh, I don't like that one. And then you'll find one and go, hey, that's that's pretty good, you know. Uh, I've I've actually done it when I'm uh, when I have to learn something in cover songs now because I'm I just don't want to sit down and put uh, the cover song on it and try to figure it out. It's can, like, can I tell okay, you how much I hate you? Somebody else play it. You know, well, listen, yeah. you you're a Richie Blackmore fan, and we did Gates to Babylon, okay? And I had Joey Concepcion play guitar, and I insisted on playing guitar. And I have tutorials. I have all this other stuff. And yet, I play it. I think I've locked in. I think I've done a great job. Corey calls me. He goes, you know you're a half step off on this one note. And I'm <laughs> Every like, time of the riff. <laughs> Fuck me. Because like, dude, cause it's so hard to hear exactly what he's doing because he changes it up just a little every time. And I have Pro Tools where I can press like, you know, uh, space bar shift or whatever the fuck it is and slow it down. And meanwhile, I'm like, I still fuck it up. And I even have Joey Concepcion playing it perfectly in my left ear. And I still can't hear it. And meanwhile, you're like, Blackmore, I play it every night. Well, the songs like that, though. See, the thing is, I, I, what I love about Richie Blackmore, I, I styled a lot of my playing like that. Not not that I copied Richie Blackmore, but I think like him. In other words, I don't play You're a warlock. Solo. I don't play the same solo the same all the time every night. I like to take chances. Richie would take chances all the time. I mean, he does some things that. I kind of wouldn't do sometimes like he would just go off instead of playing the signature part of highway star, you know, that better, 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 you know, the, te- the, the really, he wouldn't even play that. He, yeah, would he just, just gets lazy. Totally different. You know, he would be, if he was in a, a shitty mood, he wouldn't, you know, <laughs> he would play whatever the hell he wants to play. And it wouldn't be, uh, it would be something totally different than what he recorded. Mm-hmm. I, I won't go quite that crazy, but I, I will always, uh, you know, I will always take chances and that's, that's not bad because, you know, you're not going to learn if you don't take chances, you know, that that's the best thing. You know, if I, if I do something and, and it doesn't come out good and then you go, okay, well, but Jimmy, all these guitar players. Okay. So one of the things that makes, in my opinion, and, and Corey and I have talked about it as we've seen slash play. One of the things I love about slash is like, you know, everybody in the world in every cover band covers paradise city or, you know, sweet child of mine, but not even slash plays it the same way. Not once ever, every it's like, he's still figuring out kind of like what to do. Just kind of like Blackmore, but also Jimmy page. Like if you listen to Jimmy page from one night, he's fucking sucked. And then other nights you're like, wow, even Eddie Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen. I one time saw him like miss an entire verse of, uh, I think it was, uh, um, atomic punk, just gone, just gone. They're like, okay, he's just not going to play the verse. All right. But like, and then other nights where he was just fucking brilliant. And that's kind of one of those things that I feel like part of being the best is not being played by numbers or necessarily being like, are you just doing it? Like if Aerosmith just played Aerosmith live or night in the ruts live it wouldn't sound what makes aerosmith so great aerosmith you know for example is a band or led zeppelin was a band that if you go listen to them they would take it to the next level and i feel like you do that every time you play every solo and every take for lost symphony it's like we should use that one Corey's like but what do you think three more will sound like i don't know man i don't mind doing that though you guys like i said uh in the other episode you guys bring out some amazing stuff for me and i you know let's put it this way if i'm driving all the way to your house i'm not in a hurry to get out of here yeah. <laughs> so, you, you might as well just uh you know take advantage of me while i'm there you know 
Yeah, I think we definitely we definitely did, and it came through on the records. So everyone who's listening right now, LostSymphony.com, our sponsor, go buy all three. He's on all three records, yeah. chapters one, two, and three. And listen, all you need to do is listen to one song, any song, and it tells you the liner notes. Go read the liner notes. If you see Jimmy Bell solo, now close your eyes for the rest of the three records, and you'll know. You will know every solo <laughs> very because distinct. he is and the most distinctive. distinctive player. Like it's For it's sure. one of those things where like you know Paul Gilbert. I um I Gary Sharon told me something, and I'm paraphrasing, but he's, he played with. I asked him one time, like he played with Paul Gilbert, Eddie Van Halen, and Nuno Betancourt, and I was like, dude, what's it like playing with all those fucking guys? And he said, even you know Paul Gilbert, even though he could play everything, is still like. Well, you know, Eddie and Nuno sound like Eddie and Nuno right off the bat. And he's right. Like, Paul Gilbert is a Jedi guitarist, but it's not like he's Jeff Beck where from the first bend, you're like, that's Jeff Beck, you know? And I feel like with you, Jimmy, like you have that from the first pick, from the first time that pick hits the string, you're like, that's Jimmy fucking Bell. You don't have, you could be doing a dive bomb. You could be doing a slide solo. You could be just doing some shred thing. You're... You, and that's how I know because Paul forgets everything. And again, it's the first time from every time. <laughs> Who is that? Don't you know by now? If you have to ask me, it's Jimmy fucking Bell. Anytime you need an ego boost, Jimmy, you just come on our show. Oh, well, sure. <laughs> no, you know what? You know, I, I've always here's the thing. I've always strived for that. Uh, that was my main goal was I didn't want to sound like anybody. And one of the best things that ever happened um, out of the many wonderful things that happened like back in the 80s. Uh, 1986 or 85, I was in, in spotlight, the spotlight column in guitar player magazine and Mike Varney's spotlight and, you know, Mike Varney's spotlight column, he would always do three guys or, you know, three, you know, three guitar players. And he would always say, this guy is a great player. Sounds, uh, sounds like, you know, like, uh, Yngwie or has a lot of sounds like, this sounds like that. Um, you know, he'd always give some sort of a comparison. When he did my column, he didn't compare me to anybody. He just started talking about my technique, <coughs> the uh, uh, the uh, the stuff that I was doing. My uh, the uh, and, you know, because I sent him a live solo, um, and he he just went on and on about that, as opposed to like taking you know trying to say that I sounded like someone because. I, I just don't want to do that. That's why I've always <laughs> created. Like, I don't jump on bandwagons either. Like a lot of guys, like, like for example, I, you know, we talked about this a little bit before. When when Ingve came out, everybody's jumping on the Ingve. All of a sudden, you get a million guys playing neoclassical guitar, and I absolutely love that style. But it's not really my style, and I don't really, you know, I could play some of it. I could play. I could sweep arpeggios. I could play. Uh, harmonic minor scales i could play diminished scales and but it's just not what i like to play so i don't do that and a lot of times like for and other examples like when stevie ray vaughn uh, uh, got really popular all of a sudden you saw all these guys jumping on the blues band uh, bandwagon playing all this texas shuffle you know all this stuff and everybody's buying strats and playing through fender amps with two screamers you know, I avoided all that. Even in the 90s, the 90s, when there were no solos in songs, I purposely shredded even more because I was pissed <laughs> off there were no solos in songs. Hold on. So, can, we start, can we start a new video series, Shredding in the, with the 90s with Jimmy Bell? Yeah. Shredded, Shredded to the 90s with Jimmy 90s. Bell. I, I didn't stop for nothing. I didn't care what how, how, how drop-tuned you could make your guitar. I didn't care if you could drop down to C or B or A. It didn't make a difference. I was still going to shred a solo. And that's that's just, you know, I, I like to just do what I like to do. You know? Did you always have that perspective of like like self being like really assured in your vision and yourself? Because that's something as a classical musician that I struggle with a lot is like feeling like I need to be doing all the ego. things that every yeah ego and doing the things that everyone else is doing. You know, it's really easy to get caught in that trap. And so, d did you always just have that in you that you just had a vision and you didn't worry yeah, about what I, other people were doing? I, I um I'm kind of focused, um, you know, one directional. You know, that's that's pretty much how I've always, you know, I, I have something in mind that I've always wanted to do. You know, like I've always wanted to 
be on a big stage, play, uh, you know, play this, go, you know, and I wanted to always have this type of technique because when I, you know, do things uh, that I hear that I happen to like, then that makes me happy if I'm able to play them. Like a lot of people uh, can't even believe that I like country music as much. Like I play, uh, you know, I'm always sitting playing a uh, chicken picking, uh, Albert Lee type things or, or, uh, uh, you know, Brent Mason, well, hold on. Love- no, because guys like us. So I, I'm not a super country guy, but I know I'm not an idiot where I, I respect where I know like you see, I've seen Brad Paisley live and I'm like, OK, that dude's a fucking monster. And you yeah. go back and listen to all these country guys and you're like, OK, and you, and you go to Nashville once and you're like, I can't even hang with any of these dudes like holy fucking shit. But you I wake up in the morning and again, it's where you could be doing all this Paganini, Ingve, Richie Blackmore stuff. You're doing like all this chicken picking fiddle, like, like <laughs> dancing to the devil. And the, uh, and it's like this crazy, if Aldi Miola, Brian Setzer, but then like, just like a G- Gary Clark, just like guy, he, hee haw, Roy Clark, hee haw, just got together. Roy Clark. You're like Roy Clark it. And that, and, and is that a good example? Because I feel like Roy Clark would just come up there and just shred Roy all Clark this. Roy Clark is fucking... a, shred, a shred country guy. Yeah, he played everything banjo. So that I... was the right. That was the right synapse. Okay, yeah, that was the right, the right person. Yeah, I mean that, that's that's the thing that I like to do. I I don't I don't follow rules. I take chances and like you know I I've had I've had some people. That's the title because I've posted so many country videos. They would say, uh, take chances. Oh, what are you, what are you changing your style or this and that? I go, no, I just, this stuff makes me happy. When I play country stuff, I I'm, I'm happy. I, I like tapping my toe. Once again, it all, you know, if I could tap my foot like this, it all goes back to ACDC. If I could tap my foot <laughs> to a song, that's, that's what I like. A nice two, four beat, whether it's do, da, do, da, or do, da, do, da, do, da, do, da. That's what I yeah, like. Yeah. That's awesome. You said something really interesting that you had a pretty clear vision of what you wanted in life. And I'm just curious at what like at what point in your life or your career did you formulate that vision? Because I think that's something that's really common among successful people is that they know they want to play this this style on this type of stage for these type of people. You you obviously have a very clear vision of what you like, what makes you happy, what you want to do. How early in your life did you have that? Oh, very, very. I mean, right. You know, I, I started playing a little late. I I started at 14 because, like I said, I was a drummer from the age 10 to 13. Uh, but once I, I did take up the guitar, it never left my hands. And my vision was, you know, I would see I, I actually went and got to see Deep Purple uh, uh, before Ian Gillen left the first time. So I, I got to see him like in 1973. Um, and I, I was at New Haven Coliseum in New Haven, Connecticut, and they came out with Highway Star and there was, you know, they had the dry ice, the smoke all at their feet and they're coming out. And I'm, I'm looking and I'm, I'm watching the audience and, and seeing all these people just going insane. And I'm going, this is what I want to do. I said that my dream, I got to be up on that stage doing that. And that was like, before I even had developed my, my style of playing before I even, was was taking uh, elements of each guitar player to create my own style. I was just some, I was like looking at Richie Blackmore going, I, I got to be on that stage. And then, you know, most of the time when I bought records um, throughout my career, I bought live albums because I wanted to hear the audience screaming like Grand Funk. I bought Grand Funk's first live album when before they had keyboard player. Uh, when they were just a three-piece band, and I loved Grand Funk. I was going like, oh, my God, these guys, you know, and you hear the people going absolutely insane. That hearing the audience and 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 just seeing something, you know, being at a show and seeing people people's reaction to what it's like to be on that stage is what my dream always was. I, I you know, I'm going to tell you, I used to stand in front of my mirror when I was first learning playing my guitar, pretending I was playing on a big stage. I'd be playing my guitar and looking in a mirror and going, uh, you know, that this is you what know I why want. that's important because I'll tell you, I'm the whitest, Jewiest, 
guitarist ever. And when I was in a band, when I first got signed, I had, I had, I couldn't bang my head and play at a four. I just, it wasn't in me. I didn't have that feel where you just could like feel it. I just didn't. So, but my singer who wasn't a musician practiced doing all the stuff in front of the mirror. Remember all those new metal bands and he would just go up and down and up and down. He's like, just practice. And I would sit there like a dance studio in front of my, in front of my mirror trying to get it. And then I realized that uh, that's super lame and dudes love that, uh, but not chicks. <laughs> and, and, and that's when I realized that you just need to stand with it like Zach Wilde between your legs and then it makes it easier. But for a long time, I didn't come to me naturally. I watch you and you do it so naturally. And I want you to know that not everybody has the ability to do that naturally because I couldn't forever. I still can't. Well, it's, it's, you know, when you play guitar as much as I play guitar and I do, well. but not good. Well, no, I mean, yeah, but you, you got to understand you do other things. You're not just a guitar player. You are a producer. You're a piano player. You're a, a DJ. You know, you do all kinds of stuff. I'm clearly one focus in my life. And, and, you know, you could ask Mandy. There's not much other than playing guitar. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, well, that's why you have Mandy. Me, hey, you know how to fix this in the house? Do you know how to do it? I go, no, we're going to have to call somebody. But one of my buddies, <laughs> one of my buddies will come over and do it, you know. But uh, so, uh, you know, things like that, I, I never good. But, you know, I, I spent so much time. I, I'll tell you guys, um, I didn't really have any friends uh, throughout my childhood. Uh, when I was playing guitar, I was I was not popular in school whatsoever. So when I started playing guitar, uh, I would, you know, get up, play a little bit, go to school, come home. And I would bury myself in my room and play guitar until it was time to go to bed, wake up, get up, get as much time in playing before I went to school, go to school and repeat, repeat, repeat. On the weekends, I wouldn't even leave my room. I'd be practicing 24 hours a day. That's how... I, I, that's how dedicated and how much I wanted to play guitar, you know, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, Mandy says it, the guitar saying? is my mistress. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's amazing. I was, cause I was going to ask one question that I thought of is you're clearly like an, a morning person. Like I'm always amazed you're up at whatever, 4am like shredding on guitar. It sounds like you've always kind of been that way. You're just walking 12 miles a day. No, but you, you were well, obviously so energized by the things that drive you. Like, I can just I feel it in the way I you talk to, about it. I hate to say it, though, uh, uh, Savannah, but my, my, um, my mind doesn't shut off that easy. Um, and that, that's like, for example, to, uh, last week in the hotel at, at, uh, at my show, sometimes I'll be in a hotel and, and, you know, I won't I'll initially feel tired. And I'll, I'll lay down uh, thinking that, oh, I'm going to go off. And then something in my mind will go. And then I then I start watching the clock. And, and uh, you know, I have sleep machines going. I got noise apps and everything, you know, <laughs> pillows over my head. And Everything's working to try and get you everything, to sleep. <laughs> trying everything I can because I, I don't uh, you know, I don't take anything. And, uh, you know, I I. I don't drink at all because I can't. You could drink. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, I'm going to put my wine down. <laughs> no, no, no. I know. I, I mean, I, I can't. So, um, I, you know, I don't have any, I don't take anything to relax my mind or anything. So I, I try to go to bed early. Like right now, I would, you know, believe it or not, I'd probably be halfway asleep by now. We're uh, breaking your circadian rhythm. Yeah, you're breaking because, you know. But I, I just wake up. There's something in my clock that, you know, I, I uh, you know, four o'clock, three thirty. You know, I, I've never been a guy even when in my party days uh, I, I and after gigs, I'm not, I was never one of those guys that could sleep to noon. Uh, you know, it was either like, you know, nine, eight, eight, nine o'clock or whatever. I just it's just not in me. It's called to, mania. I, it's, that's that? how you're. It's called mania. That's how you're so successful. You don't sleep. You're like four hours. Like, and then I got to get up and practice more and walk five miles and all. I, you just, you're productive. 
And that's the great thing is you're able to take all that shit because the first thing I've actually had three people this week ask me, how much do you sleep a night? And it's like four hours. I literally sleep four, four hours, but you make me tired. Vicariously, you make me tired. So you, well, but you use it for productivity. So well, why? I, why not? I've watched, you know, I'm a big Elvis Presley fan and I've watched many interviews with Elvis. And uh, I remember when Elvis was young and his career was just starting out, you know, someone says, how much sleep do you get? And he goes, oh, only about, you know, four or five hours. And the guy says, is, is that enough? And Elvis says, not really, but that's all I could sleep. You know, so, you know, even the king, you know, it, it, his mind, there was so much going on. And that's what happens, like, sometimes when I'm at a, a, at a hotel. Uh, at, you know, we always arrive a day ahead of time at an autograph show. Never, that we, unless we play and then have a next uh, show the next day. But I, I always arrive a day ahead of time. And then sometimes I'll lay there and I'll, I'll start to fall asleep. And then all of a sudden I start thinking about something. And then, I, and then the clock is getting to be two, three or something like that. And I'm going, oh, shit, I, I got a show. I got to be at sound check. Then, you know, uh, sound check is at 12 o'clock. Uh, you know, that like so at some points. I'll, I'll end up, you know, being downstairs before they're serving breakfast at the hotel uh, and uh, say, can I get coffee? Can I get coffee? And then I'm, I'm starting my practice day. I, I have a guitar on my bed all the time, just so you know. There's a guitar next to me. Okay, so it is really actually your mistress, is what you're saying. <laughs> well, it is. But I yeah, have you have obsessive thoughts. Those are like so everything it, you're describing is obsessive thoughts, yeah. which is fine because you're using your OCD, your mania. That's mania. Ben, this dude. is you're not an analysis session. This is an interview. No, it's fucking amazing. No, because <laughs> that's how you become that good. I want to understand because how well, do you, you play can't with understand Marty unless you listen and Nuno okay. Betancourt and still stick out every time and it's, it's Jimmy Bell. Okay, Whatever well, you're running on. Ben, okay. So, Jimmy, before Ben takes over the show, let me ask you this. I'm yeah. curious about your practice. What? So, you, you have a, a gig. There's a band you play with. You've got stuff that you've got to learn. But what? What? how do you schedule your practice? Like, what do you, when you wake up in the morning, like, what's your routine? I'm just interested to hear, like, what it, What are you I working go, on? I just start going for it. I, uh, I start, <laughs> I pick up the guitar and I, I, um, I just start seeing what my hands are doing. First, I do, uh, I, I do uh, uh, some stretches now. Uh, something that's very good. I, I don't know if you be able to, you, I don't know if you can see the wall, uh -huh. but um, uh, I do this, uh, but with your arm totally stretched, palm upside down, against the wall like this, fingers down, and you you have your arms straight like this. Yeah. And you look and you look like as if you're looking into a shirt pocket. So you turn your head completely opposite. So you got this it's and you forearm turn your head like this and you hold it for a minute. But it, you so you have your hands parallel, but you have to put it against the wall. And the thing about um, the thing that you want to do is you want to force your the palm of your hand against the wall and you want to pull. You want to try to make like you're pulling your body away. OK, so you're trying to pull this way but your hand is pinned against the wall. Yeah. You hold, you hold that for a minute. When you drop your hand, you'll feel blood rushing down. Like, like the more uh, it, it's amazing what it does. And I do that for my, uh, my fretboard hand. So it would, you would do it for your right hand. Um, and, but I do it for my, Oh no, you would do it for your left hand. Sorry. Left hand, yeah. Yeah. And I, I do it for my right hand. She just said that my my medical my doctor wife just said it's like putting a tourniquet on and releasing it. That's exactly what uh, it's like. Uh, <laughs> it's like autoerotic asphyxiation for your hand. Yeah. So I, I I do that and then I'll pick up the guitar and start you know and messing around and um and I I kind of like just start seeing uh um what I could do right off the bat. And, and I don't, I don't hit it like a lot of times right away, but um, you know, the more I, I build it, but I, I'm just like improvisation. You're just kind of playing yeah, yeah, I start okay. going for it all over the neck, but I'm not one of these guys that that'll turn on a metronome and go, da, 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 and then turn it up, you know, and start going like that. I don't even own a metronome. So I just go on 10. <laughs> I just, I just pick up the guitar. It's laying next to me. I do it in the middle of the night. Some night, if I can't sleep, I'll reach, I'll reach over, I'll grab the guitar like this, I'll put it on 
I'll put it across me and start playing on my back. I can't tell you how many times I've fallen asleep with the guitar on my chest like this. (laughs) Many times. With my reading glasses on, I'll have my reading glasses on and my guitar on my chest. And I wake up, I go, you know, it's like, what is this on my face? Oh, it's my reading glasses. How did, you know. Oh my gosh! Absolutely (laughs) incredible. Before we get too far uh, into any direction here, in the last episode we kind of teased it, and I want to make sure we don't uh, piss off any of Jimmy's fans that may be listening. Uh, You were going to talk about some of your experiences earlier in your career, um, and you know the the closest the closeness to to these different like elements of fame that you you almost had. Can you can you dive a little bit more into? Because we've really talked about your recent stuff. I've had an amazing career, honestly. Um, I, I'm very blessed. I really, I really am. Uh, I, I'll give you the first. Um, the first thing was um, I was in a band um, locally called Joint Forces, and uh, Joint Forces was the first band in the Connecticut area to do all original music. To just come out and do an hour and a half of original music and have two warm-up bands before us when we play. There were other bands doing original music, but they were doing originals and covers. They were mixing it. And we just said to hell of it, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna take a chance and we're gonna uh, try this and see if it works. And the club owners were a little nervous about it, but um, you know, we all had good reputations. So we uh oh well oh, okay, hold on. I, I forgot a big one. Hold on. I was with a, a production company before that in Canada. So here I am living in Montreal, Canada, and I'm working with a producer from Emerson, Lake and Palmer. This, this started my whole nightmare. Okay. So <laughs> it, it was, it was a lot of, a lot of disappointments. So this was my first big disappointment. Was it Canadian remember, bacon? Was Canadian bacon, was Canadian bacon on poutine? Was, like the disappointment? Yeah. Oh. And, and, and learning how to say, uh, 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 filet mignon. That was a tough one. And how they say egg, <laughs> oof, <laughs> oof, or whatever it is. Anyways, uh, they, I was in, I, so I was in Canada. Absolutely love Montreal. Working with a, a producer that was with Emerson Lake and Palmer. Um, so we did all these demos, and and he absolutely loved us. Here I am. I'm recording at um, some big studio in uh, in old Montreal. Then he brings us to Les Studio. Uh, were rushed at all of their albums. Uh, you know, the one that you see Neil Peart's drum kit out on the lake. I recorded there at that studio. So I'm, uh, you know, I was there and, you know, we complete a record. He's going back to forth in the, to New York. This, this guy starts working with us. He says, he says, this band is going to be the next Led Zeppelin. Okay. So I'm, I'm going, uh, you know, this is incredible. We start rehearsing it. Uh, we start doing another uh, bunch of songs at uh, at Mahogany Rush's studio. Frank Marino had a, a, a studio called Tempo Studios. Uh, so we're rehearsing there. And, you know, so this went back and forth, back and forth for a long time. 27 times this producer came back and said the deal was signed. The deal was signed. You know, every, you know. And then we'd be waiting and nothing. And go, oh, they're just finishing up some more stuff on a contract. Finally, it, it was nothing. So I end up coming back to Connecticut, forming Joint Forces. So Joint Forces starts. We come out doing all original music. And we hook up with, we get hooked up with Joan Jett's management company. Uh, someone from Joan Jett's company uh, wanted to start his own production company. And he got a partner to head a tour bus. So uh, that owned tour bus company. So here we are, a band that only had a three-song cassette demo out. They put us out on tour with Joan Jett. We're on an East Coast tour with Joan. We didn't, we didn't, we weren't making any money, like ten dollars a day. But we had a tour bus, a beautiful one. So we're we're around. Half of Joan's band is driving with us, uh, you know. And I became very good friends with Joan uh, throughout that whole time. So we do that and everything's cool. Next thing you know, we get a, a phone call saying, hey, uh, uh, Joan is going to be in a movie with Michael J. Fox and, uh, you know, and Michael J. Fox. It's going to be called Light of Day and they need a band for the movie. So we had to send our, our promo stuff in and, uh, you know, uh, they, they took it. Next thing I know, I'm flying to Chicago and I'm going to be in a national motion picture. You know, we're all 
our minds are blown, you know, this, oh my God, you know, so we go to the, you know, we end up, we're at the limelight in Chicago and meeting all these people. We met, uh, we met that porn star Seika, uh, anything, whatever her name was back then from the eighties. The um, she was at the club. Anyways, we met Michael and, uh, it, it was just great. So I'm on a movie set at four in the morning getting makeup and, uh, they uh, they made us kind of look like a, a Kiss type band, and you know, eating lunch with Michael J. Fox, talking guitars. He loved he loved the way I played guitar. So, uh, he, and in that movie, Light of Day, he actually played guitar. He didn't play guitar in Back to the Future, but in in uh, Light of Day, he does. So we do this movie. I go to the um, you know, it, it, it comes out. I'm at the movie premiere party. I get out of his limousine in New York City at the at the. Um, Hard uh, at the Hard Rock Cafe, and we're standing on this roped-off area, and the streets are lined with people and and photographers, and I'm just standing there, uh, you know, at the red carpet, ready to go in for the party, and they uh, they say, "Hey, uh, who are you?" And they, <laughs> we said, uh, "Oh, we're we're joint forces," and and then someone says. Join forces. You're the Huns in the movie. That was the name of the band, the Huns. All of a sudden, a million flashbulbs went off, like bam, 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 bam. It was like I'd never seen anything like it because I never experienced that. It was like, oh my God. I grabbed my bass player. I was holding his arm so tight. I go, this is fucking great. It was amazing. So, you know, we walk in, you know, we're talking, Ron Wood was there, Carly Simon, uh, so many people. Keith, uh, Mel Schaefer was one of the, the, the one person I, I loved because he was just like he was on the David Letterman show. He, he was walking around with two girls on his arm and he comes, he comes up to me and goes, hey man, how you doing, babe? Everything good? You know, just like he is on Letterman. It is just so funny. But, you know, so after that, you know, here we are in a motion picture and, you know, we figured that this, this guy would, uh, the manager would take off with that run with it. Nothing. He ends up going out and doing road managing for Joan Jett and just drops us and, you know, forgets about it. So that was a big disappointment. I start working with this producer, um, Jack Ponte, who did uh, stuff on the first uh, bon, bon Jovi record, really great guy. And he brings me over. He's in New Jersey. He brings me over to meet all the guys in Skid Row before they had Sebastian Bach. I go over to Rachel's house, the bass player, and they're practicing in his garage. So I met I I, I uh, met all the guys in Skid Row there, and we're talking, we're jamming. Uh, and then uh, later on in that year, I'm jamming with uh, uh, Michael Monroe from Hanoi Rocks. I'm jamming with him someplace. Uh, and that's when my whole hookup with Kramer Guitars came. So I'm, I'm sitting there doing all this stuff for Kramer guitars. They, they saw me play the president of Kramer saw Floyd Rose himself saw me play and said, I have to get you a full endorsement from Kramer guitars. So he went to uh, Dennis Berardi. Next thing I know, Dennis Berardi shows up at this store where I was given lessons. He goes, I understand. I have to give you an endorsement. And, <laughs> and I said, boy, I would love that. And this is when Eddie, was the big guy for Wait a Kramer. minute. Wait a minute. I was on a phone call with Paul Reed Smith this week, and I said, I want an endorsement. I have a fucking interview with Guitar World Magazine with Nuno, and he goes, Ben, I only decide if John Mayer is on. Like, I, 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 I wouldn't have a, an artist relation per, person, Beverly. I, she wouldn't have a job. I got to send it to Beverly. And I'm like, but Paul, he's like, no, you got to talk to Beverly. She's the one that does this. You're just like Floyd Rose is like Kramer. I know you got this Eddie guy, Jimmy <laughs> Bell. And I'm like begging Paul Reed Smith. He doesn't care. What the it fuck? Because he's actually a guitarist. That's impressive. <laughs> was, uh, so, I mean, so that was, that was insane, you know, Floyd. And then, so they have, they have Floyd promo Rose. packages of me. And they're doing this and doing that. I got to turn this AC down a little bit. I'm dying in here. Is there, Do you want to go to the D.C.? You want to go to the uh, DC from the AC? AC to the yeah. DC? It's a DC. I don't even think the air conditioning's on down here. Um, so we're, um, we're uh, you know, doing this. And all of a sudden, I get a phone call from uh, Kramer because they're, they're, they want to produce, they want to, they're working with me. 
even though I had no, um, I had no uh, record deal or anything. They're they're working they're working with me, and they said uh, they called me up and said, Jimmy, uh, Jakey Lee is has is out of Ozzy. We want to uh, we want to give you, uh, uh, you we want you to go and audition. We sent we sent your tape. Uh, we sent your tape uh, to. Uh, oh, you need this. Okay. Uh, we, we sent your tape to uh, Sharon Osbourne, and she loves it. You have to go uh, go to California. And I said, okay. When do you need me to go to California? Uh, next week. She goes. They they said no today. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get on a plane. So I, I fly to California. I'm I. Uh, I end up uh, I I'm I'm with Randy Castile and Phil, the bass player, and um, that's how you did the audition. Like Ozzy wasn't going to sit through all the guitar players, uh, so that I, I I did my audition. And when I played, Sharon Osbourne sat there for my audition because she wanted to see if what she saw on the tape was was what was there. You know, if I could do that. So I do the audition and I nailed it. Uh, I go back to my hotel room. I open my door. There's a young, beautiful Zach Wild <laughs> standing there <laughs> with two Coca-Colas. You know, didn't look anything like a, a barbarian. Like he looked, you know, he, he was all, you know, clean shaved. And he had heard I was in the hotel. And um, he wanted to, uh, he wanted to jam. He brought me a Coca-Cola and he says, Hey, you want to jam? So he had a, a little Rockman with headphones, him and I plugged in it and I was already warmed up. So I was wailing in there and, <laughs> and I, and I, I must've really impressed Zach because later on he sat at a clinic, a guitar clinic. Uh, and I know this for a fact, cause a friend of mine was at the clinic. He says, yeah, he says, I, there was this one guy named Jimmy Bell that auditioned that I didn't think I was going to get the gig after I heard him play. So uh, I, that was really cool of him to say. But so I'm going to be honest with you. I, I agree with him. Well, he, sh he shouldn't have gotten the gig because I love I love Zach Wilde. But like you have aged more like a fine wine than Zach Wilde has. <laughs> Zach Wilde is more like a Jack Daniels in that he's just stayed stagnant doing the same things. And he's amazing at it. He's amazing at it. But I feel like you do what Zach Wilde does in the same school. He's a ferocious picker too. He's one of those guys where you can hear him from the first second he plays. It's yeah, ferocious. You know yeah. but, but, but you do that ferociousness, but it has such a more unique element to it. Like For him, it's like he's going through the same patterns in his mind where it's like, who knows where Jimmy's going. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I just, I just go for it, man. You know, but you know, here's the thing. Then I, you know, so I come home, uh, share. So anyway, I do my audition with Ozzy. Ozzy comes on, uh, the next day, Ozzy comes in, we, we, uh, change, uh, studios and we go to a big studio. I had a massive stage on it. And, uh, I did, uh, five songs, including a guitar solo. And I sit down with them after, and they said, uh, well, Jimmy, here's the deal. It's between you and Zach. And, you know, if they didn't like me, they didn't have to say, you know, say that. But they said it's between you and Zach. And they took me out to dinner at this really exclusive place. I went back to Ozzy's Bungalow. Then Randy Castile took me to uh, the Troubadour. It was just one, an amazing uh, experience. Uh, but then I was on a plane on, on the plane home the next day. And, you know, I think they decided they had already kind of started working with Zach originally. But, you know, so Zach kind of had that Randy Rhodes, you know, Les Paul, the blonde hair, that type thing. Uh, somebody made a joke one time to me. They go, maybe they didn't, maybe they didn't take you because you're left handed. And, and Ozzy and, and Tony Iommi was left handed and he didn't like, uh, you know, Ozzy and Tony were really battling back then. I said, geez, you know, I don't really think that was it. But, you know, um, anyways, I'm well, home. Do you think that, po that, that Ozzy and Tony both want to, like, push you down? Because one thing I found out about you, and I'm going to out Black Sabbath, is you are one of the only human beings that was not in Black Sabbath to pen a Black Sabbath song. Am I correct? Was yeah. it Masters of Insa Insanity? Masters is that the song? Yeah, so I want everybody to know that my all-time favorite Sabbath album, because I was not... 
like I wasn't influenced. Like again, with like I liked Van Hagar going up because I would that was my time period. Uh, was Dehumanizer because I grew up in the Wayne's World era, and I remember thinking that song "Time Machine" was stupid. But le- I loved Ronnie James Dio, so I went and bought the record, and I'm like, "This is fucking awesome!" And there was two songs that blew my mind. I remember as a kid, "Master of Insanity" and "Computer God." And I I went and searched for bootlegs high and low to see if I could find, because they never released a live album with Master of Insanity. And I always wanted to hear how they were going to do it. And then years later, I find out Jimmy Bell, forgoing his name, because he's like, I'll put it on the Sabbath record if it means changing to Geezer or something, gave the song to Tony Iommi. Is this true? Like, what the hell happened? Please oh, well, tell me the story. Here's, here's the story behind it. So anyways, I... I you know, going back just a little bit, I'm back home, disappointed. Next thing I know, my phone rings. I pick up, you know, hello, there's this English guy on the phone. He says, you know, hey, this is, you know, this is Geezer Butler. And, you know, I'm going like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Geezer <laughs> Butler from Black Sabbath is calling me in, in Southington, Connecticut. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and, uh, uh, and the, he says, listen, I got your video uh, from Sharon. I'm um, putting together a new project. You know, it's a little lighter than Black Sabbath, but, uh, you know, I'm putting together this thing. So, yeah, so that's what happened. I end up, uh, the geezer flies me to England. Um, we start working on stuff. I'm in the studio, and, uh, you know, we, we had another song called Computer God as well. It's, it's a whole different version of what was done on a thing. So uh, we're in this this uh, this uh, uh, studio, and, and, and Geezer comes up to me one night and says, do you have any songs that are similar to a Black Sabbath song that you write? And I said, well, yeah, I have this one I've been working on. So I played it for him. And I said to him, I said, I even have a title for it, but I don't write lyrics. I said, I, I thought of this title called Master of Insanity. I said, but I'm, you know, I'm not a lyricist. So um, I played the song. We recorded it. Giza wrote lyrics to my title. And... Um, uh, uh, the singer for Nazareth, Carl Sentence, he's in it. Um, and Jez Woodruff was the keyboard player. He, he wrote Little by Little and Big Log with Robert Plant. So he played with Robert Plant and the drummer from, from Eddie Money, Gary Ferguson, was in the band. Um, so, you know, we do a showcase. Here's another thing. So, you know, you heard about the Ozzy thing. So we do a showcase and we get signed. That we, they come to Ed, they we do a showcase in England. Um, I go home, and I think it was uh, supposedly MCA Records, and uh, uh, I get a phone call from Geezer's wife, Gloria. She goes, Jimmy, I have terrible news. Um, the person who signed you, who signed uh, the project, uh, got caught doing something in the company. They, they dropped off, they dro- fired him dropped all his projects and everything. So two hits right in a row like that, you know, that was, that was a, a big thing. So months go back. These are joins black Sabbath. Uh, these are joins Ozzy on a tour for a little bit. Next thing I know, phone call Gloria Butler again, Jimmy, uh, 1992. She says, Jimmy, I have some uh, uh, news for you. Black Sabbath is getting back together with Ronnie Dio. And we're going to use your song, Master of Insanity. And I'm going, yeah, you know, this is great. You know, I'm all excited. And she goes, but there's one problem. And of course, there's always a problem. And so she says, Geezer has to say that he wrote the song because Tony Iommi will never let a song from another guitar player on a Black Sabbath record. So she says, Geezer will put your name in a special thanks and we'll pay you for the song after the tour. So what was I going to say? I said, okay, so Black Sabbath tours, I go see them. The song, the reviews come out on the record. It gets always mentioned as one of the better songs on the record. And they're playing the song live. So I'm going to see Black Sabbath in Boston, uh, at the Orpheum and or wherever it was, and uh, and again in Hartford, and they're playing my song live. I'm watching Ronnie Dio, one of my favorite singers ever, sing a song that I wrote, and I can't get credit for it. 
So the tour is over. <laughs> never received a dime. Oh, my oh God. God. Never got paid. No, nothing. All right. Just oh hashtag gosh. justice what? for Jimmy, I think, is. Yes. <laughs> we need... so That's anyways, is Mandy, you're, you're man. You're, okay, so you're now being managed by your wife, Mandy, who's a saint and and uh, so smart. That we need to have her. She just. She steers me in the right direction. Tell her know? to get you a Patreon, oh, a Patreon, because you'll you'll have a bunch of people like. Listen to everybody. Listen to what Jimmy could have been. He's the greatest ever, and it's just like well, his- he got fucked by the universe. No, but do well, wait a minute. Does anyone know this? I mean, universe. yeah, that's that's. I had no idea. Wow. Yeah. So here's here's the thing, though. So years go by. I, I you know, I it's so hard to tell people that you wrote a song on a black Sabbath record in front. What do you mean you wrote a song? Yeah. Well, it right. my name, I know it doesn't say my name, but I wrote all the music. I, I did this and I did this. All of a sudden it starts appearing in books. There's a bunch of books written by black Sabbath and, uh, it, my name starts getting mentioned in it. Uh, so now finally last year, uh, somebody sent me, there was a book a couple of, not, not last year of uh, about three years ago, before Ronnie passed, somebody had done an interview with him in a book. And it took that long for the book to come out. Ronnie, they said to Ronnie Dio, they said, uh, they're asking about the lyrics. And it says, I wrote the lyrics for most every song with the exception of this one tune, Master of Insanity, which I absolutely love. It was written by Geezer Butler and a guitarist named Jimmy Bell. Right, and it's in writing that Ronnie Dio mentions my name in a book saying that I wrote the song. From the holy man himself, from the man riding the tiger with the rainbow in the dark, Mr. Ronnie James Dio. <laughs> and killing and the king because he's the man on the silver crazy. mountain. Probably, you know, finally to get, to get uh, the recognition for that song. You know, and I always laugh. It's like, uh, you know, I don't get why they didn't pay me for the song. It's like, it's a, what are they going to give me? A few thousand or, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. they got zillions yeah. of dollars. You can't pay me for one song. You know, it's kind of like, sure. It's oh. acknowledging that it's a real thing though. That's the problem is you can't, you, it's like not looking at it. It's like, Oh, it, it doesn't hurt. It's not bad. If I don't yeah. look at it, That'd it's not Jimmy trip. Bell. It's not Jimmy Bell's <laughs> riffs. If I just pretend geezer Butler wrote it. Well, yeah. everyone, everyone and, watching and listening, Go check it out <laughs> and see. And, you know what's funny, though, too? They recorded the song exactly the way that I recorded it. And the only thing that's different in it is that uh, uh, Tony did a different guitar solo than me. But the whole every everything from the song from the very beginning, I wrote the beginning, which is uh, I wrote a bass beginning. I said I told Geezer, let's start it out with the bass. Boom, 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 boom. But doing the riff and then the whole band will join. So so they they. They did the song exactly like the demo. My demo is on YouTube. If you type Jimmy Bell, Master of Insanity. Oh, I've seen oh. it. It's awesome. Yeah, you'll hear, you'll hear my demo version of it. Well, but the thing is, the irony is, and I was trying to say this with the lyrics, is the lyrics are behind the lies. You will yeah. see the Master of Insanity. And I think what Ronnie James Dio was saying, behind the lies of Tony Iommi and Geezer Butler, you will see the real Jimmy Bell. The master of insanity. Well, that would be nice, except Ronnie didn't write those lyrics. It was Geezer that wrote them. But still, that's a good thing. No, I'm saying. That, yeah. But you're the lies yeah. he's talking about. Still. Yeah. You're the true master of insanity. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Listen, Jimmy, incredible, incredible story. Um, it was so great to thank hear you. from you. Yeah. Thank you for hanging no out with honor. us. I'm glad we finally got this. I'm, I'm sorry it took so long. I know we kept our schedules got really uh, hectic, but it just so happens that this weekend I'm home. And, and that's why I said, okay, let's, you know, let's make this happen now or else it might not happen. Sure. No, we well, really appreciate it. We actually had our buddy David um, Abraziz from Pearl Jam, but wherever he is in the world, apparently they're having like Wi-Fi issues or something near the volcano by the spaceship. So like <laughs> he has to, like, I think his motor scooter went into like the universe. So like he, he's, he's postpone last minute we're like fuck and we've been trying to get you forever because you are on all three records and i gotta say so <clears throat> since the beginning with lost symphony you, you know it's like and, and i'm talking to i want to say this and i'm so excited about it i'm talking to guitar world with nuno about lost symphony on tuesday and one of the the biggest things for me always has been that we have these guys like matt lapierre or like kelly or like joey 
and certainly you, that when you hear a guy like Marty Friedman or Nuno Betancourt or Jeff Loomis, they have these names. Like We're like, no one could be as good as Jeff Loomis. <laughs> and it's like, hold my water. <laughs> Jimmy Bell is going to go sweat to the 90s or I mean shred to the 90s. <laughs> right. Yeah, because the thing is, is, anybody that listens to this record, any three, one of these three records, I challenge you. And I love every one of these players for different reasons. But there is nobody in my mind, other than maybe when Bumblefoot comes in with the, like the, the uh, fretless guitar solo thing with the thimble. Like you're like, okay, that's pretty distinct. But there's nothing more distinct on this entire record as far as guitar playing is concerned. In my mind, as far as from the first pick attack. You attack those notes like nobody else. It's uh, Jimmy Bell, man. You. It's literally you. It's just it was a it's a real Indeed. honor to be on a project, and I'm I'm I can't thank you enough. It, it you guys did an awful lot for me, and I know you do so much promotion on it. Uh, it it really is an honor for me to be on this. And uh, hey, you know I'm I'm ready for chapter four. So uh, <laughs> woo, it's gonna have to happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's an honor to have you on it. Yeah. You inspired. It's actually all chapter of us. eleven. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say that yet. <laughs> Guys, check out jimmybell.com, uh, autograph, autographband.com, yeah. house of Find Lords, him on social media. Mass he explosion. Oh, my name is right, Jimmy Bell, J I M I. J I M I. <laughs> and uh, I can't wait. I, I can't wait. I haven't, I, I think you have some. Are there any tour dates in New England for autograph? Uh, I ju- well, I just did Mohegan. Uh, that was my first, oh, right, my right, first right. Yeah. Uh, hometown show. Uh, there is one that keeps getting postponed. It's a, uh, it's in Enfield, Connecticut. It, it, but it, it it's uh, it, it got postponed obviously twice because of COVID. But it is happening in 2022, uh, and it's uh, it's autograph Vixen and Slaughter together at the uh, in, at the Enfield Town Green. And of course, that's something all sponsored by. Uh, uh, the town of Enfield, so it's a free show. There's no charge for it, so it's it's like crazy. You could just come and stand in front. Well, That's I awesome. think I speak on behalf of all of us that if you ever have any cancellations or postponements, you could always come down to the studio, and we'll put yeah. you to work. Well, I'm, I'm <laughs> ready to go to work. Actually, I'm I'm going to be. I I actually have to come down there uh, because I'm getting a lot of calls for. Uh, you know, with House of Lords, I did all my all my recording over over the drummer's house. He's the one that has the Pro Tools, and I never needed it before. At uh, you know, fifteen years, sixteen years of recording records with House of Lords, I always did it. He lives seven minutes away from me. Uh, but now that uh, he plays for Dokken and I'm in autograph, and I'm getting all these calls from a lot of people, I actually have to pick up at, at this late of an age. I have to pick up my own recording gear, which I have no idea how to use. <laughs> so I'm going to have to. I'm gonna have you guys. Uh, yeah, if we can, we can help out in any yeah, way, man. I, I, Let I, us know. Just sure. tell me the simplest way to sit and push the button and hit record. It's hilarious <laughs> you say that because you. So, so everyone knows. I was introduced to John. Well, I knew John Denae from Anthrax and Shadows Fall a little bit, but Jimmy Bell was the one that pushed him over the edge. Like you should play on this record. It's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be pretty I freaking good. And, He's a student. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the crazy thing is that you literally, uh, you, everybody, like you've been around for so long that anybody who plays guitar within like a 10,000 mile radius, like, oh, Jimmy <laughs> Bell, Jimmy Bell. It's like I, it's like an innate sure. sense in guitar players, but the world hasn't figured it out. And I remember when you came down, you're like, Betty, and you're, you're the most humble, easygoing dude. And I looked right at Corey and I said it about Joey Concepcion and I said it about you. I'm like, these guys are going to be guitar heroes. And like five months later or something, Joey's playing some crazy festival in Belgium for Jeff Loomis, note for note with Arch Enemy. And then I, I don't want, I want to say a few months later, you're like, Betty, I'm an autograph. And I'm like, what? You're like, yeah, dude, I'm playing all these shows and like, this, it's happening. And I'm like, so not surprised. And I, it's only a matter of time before the world, it, maybe 63 was the year for yeah, you. Maybe I, when no, you're 64. I, it doesn't matter at the age thing. I guess, it, you know, my age doesn't really matter as much as my drive. Uh, my, I, I have the, I have the drive and, and it's constant. You know, I don't, uh, I, it never leaves my body. So it's as long as I keep that motion. Uh, the forward motion. Uh, I'm looking forward to whatever. Perpetual motion. Right on. Well, Inertia, we, yeah. We wish the Keep best for you and everything coming up and this good shows, and we hope we can catch you soon. Um, and once again, thanks for hanging out, and we'll have to get to work on Chapter 4 for Absolutely. you. Absolutely. <laughs> so check out 
20-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast. And Thank you, Jimmy. Oh, it was great to be JimmyBell.com. you in person sometime. Yes, absolutely. I'll, I got to come see one of your shows. I'll look and see. Well, when I'm in the telling same you guys place. right now that we all need to do an episode of the Neurotic Guitarist together. So we will find an well, excuse. Then, then, you just tell us when you're <laughs> around. Come up, uh, when Savannah's at your house again, so we can at least just sit and chat uh, next time. Yeah, let's do yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. <laughs> it's been put forth to the universe. Yeah. And with that said, you've been 2020. Check out JimmyBell.com. Thank you so much. Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-D.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 99 featuring Satchel of Steel Panther. Check it out. I will say this, too. I, I had the really awesome opportunity to um, to meet Dia one time. And um, I played him a game of Miss Pac-Man. It was there, and he was like, "You want to play Miss Pac-Man?" And I said, "Yeah, I'll, pl- I'll play against you." And he, and he was like, "He was any any brag." He said, "I'm I'm pretty good, I'm pretty good." <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, I was a little scared. I was like, "Is he gonna kick my fucking ass in Miss Pac-Man?" Now he he played his first his first man, and and you know lasted a little while, and then I got on, and I I fucking destroyed it. I. <laughs> I had the best game of Miss Pac-Man I've ever played. I think if he could have like shot lightning bolts out of his fingers, he would have killed me right there. Seriously. <laughs> he was mad at me. <laughs> Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little, little taste of it right down to the shaky microphone and all. And my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics... Um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot and listen to Axe Grind podcast.